Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back. We are still in 1965 with the skin of our teeth. We're still in 1965. And today we're looking at issue 60 of DC Comics' tryout title, Showcase. Now this is quite a significant one because I was about to say unheralded, but it's not unheralded. There was quite a few sort of contemporary house ads, which we've already shared on the social media, which I'm sure you've seen already. Mm -hmm. But this is the first time one of the, the main sort of DC Comics, sort of, if you like, superhero characters from the 40s has come back on his own without appearing with other heroes or as part of a Justice League team-up or an issue of Brave and Bold with some other heroes who are already, already teaming up on their own. Today we are talking about the return of the Spectre. Ooh. He first appeared in January 1940 in issue 52 of More Fun Comics. And at this point I usually give you some stats about the revived character that we're talking about. But as you probably noticed when we did Brave and Bold 62, there was a bit of repetition when it came to, to Wildcat and the Hundreds and Sportsmaster and all that. So... We're going to read the text page straight away, and that will save the doubling up later on. Absolutely, yes. Let's hear it, David. Thank you. Okay, so this text piece halfway through this issue showcase, and it says at the top, Origin of the Spectre, and in the bottom right-hand corner we have the cover of issue 52, where he made his first appearance. The Spectre made his debut in More Fun Comics number 52, cover dated February 1940. The feature was written by Jerry Siegel and illustrated by Bernard Bailey. The cover of this issue is reproduced below, as I've already said. Police detective Jim Corrigan had everything to live for. He was highly successful in his chosen field and was engaged to the beautiful Clarice Winston. Then he broke up a robbery being pulled by the Gap Benson gang. In retaliation, Benson kidnapped Jim and Clarice. The detective was put in a barrel of cement and dumped in the river. Jim Corrigan died. But in the next world, a mystic voice informed him that his work was not yet done. He was returned to Earth, but not to life. He was now a ghost. He discovered he could fly, become invisible and walked through walls, and he was to find he possessed even more astounding powers. Returning to Benson's hideout, Jim was just in time to prevent the murder of Clarice, then with Gat in police custody, Jim broke his engagement without telling Clarice the real reason, that she was in love with a dead man. The earthbound spirit decided to keep his Jim Corrigan identity as a cover for his ghostly work of battling evil. He created a costume and adopted a new alter ego, the Spectre. No one guessed that the police were now employing a ghost. Soon after this, the spectre was given a choice by the mysterious voice which counselled him. Of eternal rest in the next world, or being forever earthbound. Once he had craved everlasting rest, but now Clarice, whom he still loved, was in danger, and only he could save her. So he elected to remain on earth. Finally, the supernatural powers of the beyond granted him permission to use his awesome powers to restore his own body, which still lay at the bottom of the river, to life. But the revived Jim Corrigan discovered he still had all the uncanny abilities he had possessed as a ghost, and that he could still emerge from his mortal body as the Spectre. World War II was on, and soon Jim decided to join the army and fight the Axis powers. His alter ego, the Spectre, then parted from his mortal self for a while. Meanwhile, the Spectre had appeared in the first two issues of All-Star Comics, summer and fall 1940. When the Justice Society of America debuted in the third issue, published in winter 1940, the Earthbound apparition was a charter member, along with Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Doctor Fate, Atom, Sandman and Our Man. He continued as an active member for four years, fighting evil alongside such heroes as Starman, Doctor Midnight, Johnny Thunder and Wonder Woman. He last worked with the JSA when he first battled the original Psycho Pirate, as told in issue 23 of All-Star Comics, which was published in November 1944. After this, he and Starman were replaced by the Flash and Green Lantern, who had for some time been inactive honorary members. Starman was only a human hero who was on the point of retiring from crime fighting altogether. But why had the immortal Spectre dropped out of the All-Star organisation? There was in fact no resignation and no word of any kind. He had simply disappeared indeed. It was just at this time that he last appeared in More Fun Comics number 101, which also went on sale in November 1944. The mystery of his vanishing was one that even the mighty Justice Society could not solve. But here, in this issue... You will finally learn the answer to that battling riddle in a full-length adventure which brings the Spectre back into action. Excellent. When did you first encounter the Spectre then, Peter? In uh, a brief and bold issue with the Batman. I think it was about 180. Okay. It was some evil wizard who was trying to get three pieces of a scepter put together. Right. And the Spectre teamed up with Batman to take them down. 
Bob it yourself. See, we'll be doing that one eventually, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I first encountered him in the, the British Superman Annual from 1983, which reprinted wow. a three-part story from DC Comics Presents that also featured Martian Manhunter and Supergirl. Excellent. Fantastic story. Which we'll be doing, obviously, on the podcast in due course, yep. Mm-hmm. Quite a way off. So yeah, that was when I first met him. The Spectre series I'm most familiar with is the 90s John Ostrander, Tom Mandrake series. And it's always interesting, I find, when yeah. reading older stories with the Spectre, I was of the Strander version, sort of, feel like, hardwired into my head. So it's very interesting sure. reading the old stuff and seeing how mm-hmm. it compares. Even just, actually, that little recap of his origin there, it kind of, I feel it like kind of jarring slightly mm-hmm. with what I'm used to. <laughs> yeah. I've really enjoyed the Doug Munch series that was uh, before that in the late 80s. I don't think that's really got quite the following that uh, the Ostrander series has, but I thought there's a lot of great work in that. Check that one out if you can. In fact, all the Spectre series have been interesting. Yeah. And obviously there's a classic adventure comics run. Yes. Yeah, which we will be covering again yeah. uh, when we reach that in the 70s. That's a great mm-hmm. series. Very much looking forward to doing the 70s stuff. So yes, there's plenty of Spectre chat. Yes. The really cool thing about this issue of Showcase is it reunites the team that's been doing all these Golden Age revivals. It's uh, Gabba Fox yes. and Murphy Anderson on art, who we've had for the Doctor Fate and uh, Our Man stories, and of course for the Starman Black Canary stories. But as you said, it is a solo. Or is it a solo? You could actually say it's a Spectre and Jim Corrigan teaming up. That's very true. Issue 60 of Showcase was published on November the 25th, 1965, with a cover date of February 1966. And to give you a bit of wider pop cultural context, this was between episodes two and three of the Dalek Master Plan in Doctor Who, and just over a week before the release of the Beatles album Rubber Soul. Wow. So there you go, listeners. There you are. If you can imagine sitting reading the Spectre with Peter Purvis and William Hartnell on the telly, and your big sister up the stairs listening to, to Paul McCartney and John Lennon and George Harrison and Ringo Starr, that's what's going on, you know. <laughs> if you're lucky enough to have this issue showcase in Britain that quickly. Anyway. <laughs> Rubber Soul coming out roughly the same time as this ectoplasmic spirit. So, yes. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, applause. I'm not even going to groan. That was tremendous. One thing we should quickly add before we before we get into the story, the the text page there, which is very useful in giving a recap. Mm-hmm. It was almost hinting at the, there was no real sort of story reason as to why the Spectre vanished, but we all know it was all to do with the the changing tastes for characters and the the changing relationship between you know national comics and all American and stuff, and and so that you know the Spectre and Starman faded out and replaced by the Flash and Green Lantern. So, Showcase Issue 60. Tell us about the cover, Peter. Well, we have the Spectre front and centre with his two arms out in a creepy fashion. Yeah, he's looming towards the reader, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The white-skinned spirit with his green cloak and his green trunks for some reason and his green booties for some reason. The hood over his eyes, which are like beaming white through it. It's great. I always love that image. It's just so... Stark yeah. and creepy Spectre's and amazing. vivid. Amazing. But the cover's uh, split into two. On the left-hand side, you have a city during the day and there's some fighter planes shooting at the Spectre. And on the right-hand side, we have a demon-type character who looks quite like the Golden Age villain Wotan, but he's not. He really does, yeah. He's just coloured differently. He looks like an illustration of Wotan that's been covered in by a child with the wrong felt tips, doesn't he? Yes, as if someone's taken one of the black and white showcase DC collections and just coloured it in. <laughs> yeah, Wotan was sort of red and green. This guy's sort of yellow outfit with a yellow cape, but he's a pink face and pink legs. <laughs> my my eyes are processing him as Wotan and then being appalled at the colouring. Yeah, so it's, it's almost like the spectre is shown sort of straddling two worlds here. Mm-hmm. He's got one foot in the moon and one foot in the city, and it's quite a good way of representing the spectre sort of situation. Yes. But yeah. There's tons of text on this cover. Showcase presents the most exciting comic book event of the past 20 years. The triumphant return of The Spectre. A combat of colossal chills between the ghostly guardian and a dark demon in a full-length spectre-acular. The war that shook the universe. Amazing. Uh, this is probably the best moment to drop in just to show off. I'll maybe post a, a photograph of this actually on the socials to demonstrate. My copy of Showcase 60 is a double cover. Ah, <laughs> very nice. I've, I only have three of these in my collection. There's <laughs> this one, there's an issue of Adventure Comics and I've got an issue of House of Mystery um, with John Jones. Fantastic. So, yeah, two front covers. The outer one has the worst of the creasing. It's got the Thorpe and Porter stamp and all the, the stressing down the spine. But when you open it up, the one inside is 
much, much nicer. So if I was considering selling it, I suppose I would whip off the outer cover and it would instantly leap up a couple of grades <laughs> <laughs> if you were that way inclined. So, into the story. Well, the opening splash page, again, with a guy who looks like Votan has been coloured in with the Rogfeld tips. It's got Votan and the Spectre. It looks as if they've each grabbed comets by the tails and they're hitting each other with them, basically. They're standing out in space. There's planets all around. It's drawn by Murphy Anderson, as, as Peter said, this comic, and it's it's gorgeous. It's the sort of imagery you used to get occasionally in the Golden Age Spectre stories, but just given quite an edge by Murphy's artwork. There's a little insert panel next to the logo of the Spectre with his cape up to his face, which is quite a sort of recurring image from him. And as you, as you would expect... There's a fair bit of text at the bottom. For more than a score of years, the world has lost sight of the Spectre, who once was wont to roam the Earth on his mission to destroy crime and uphold justice. What happened to the disembodied detective? Why has he never been heard from in all that time? Only the dark demon Asmodus knew, and he kept his secret until the moment he chose to come to grips with the Spectre in... A war that shook the universe. So, our story opens. Top of page two. We see a big castle with some turrets, a big line of trees and a little road leading up to it. The caption says, This is Treasure Castle, where the recently deceased millionaire Ebenezer Alcott amassed and hid a fortune. And then our next panel has headshots of, of three characters who are going to feature in this opening chapter. And the captions identify them. Millicent Alcott, a secretary who resigned her job to find the fortune which legally belongs to her as the only heir of Ebenezer Alcott. And Millicent is a young lady, stylish short haircut, bit glam, bright red lipstick. And then the next character... Stefan Miklos, psychic investigator whose extrasensory abilities have enabled him to solve baffling mysteries for the police and to locate lost articles. And Stefan is, I would sort of say, middle-aged gentleman, a bit portly, has a very neat moustache. And then the final one... Jim Corrigan, detective, captain of a metropolitan police force assigned to help Myra Alcott against the possibility of theft of her inheritance. That's interesting. Myra Alcott compared to Millicent? Are they the same person? Yeah. So I think there's been a slight mistake there. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jim Corrigan, yes, is, um, as we will come to know him very well as we continue with the podcast. Slightly grim-looking face. Red hair without famous white streak. So, panel three, the caption says. On this cool autumn day, anxious eyes watch Stefan Miklos as he moves about the bedroom where Ebenezer Alcott spent his last days. And we see the three characters in this bedroom. There's a large sort of four-poster bed. And Stefan is closest to the bed. He has his hand on one of the posts and he's saying, Sometimes by touching the personal belonging of the owner, I can be guided by psychic impulses to other of his prized possessions. But I am having difficulties. The spirit world is weak in these surroundings. And the caption for the next panel says, Millicent Alcott worries because she has been poor all her life and now, with a fortune almost in her grasp, she has a chance at happiness. We see Millicent and Stefan in this panel. Millicent is saying to, to Stefan, Perhaps... Perhaps a seance will help. And the next panel is a close-up of Jim Corrigan with a caption that says, Jim Corrigan worries because a part of him has been lost for 20 long years. And Jim's thinking, If only I could separate my physical and astral bodies. Do I used to? It would be a cinch for the spectre to locate that treasure. A note of hope springs into Stefan Miklos's voice. Stefan and Millicent are continuing the conversation. And Stefan says, A seance? A gathering of the spiritual forces through a medium? Hmm. Yes, it could strengthen the extrasensory powers in me so that the hidden windows of my psyche would open and reveal the truth. Millicent puts her hand on his arm and she says, Let's arrange it at once. And then the caption for the next panel. The captain of detectives lingers a moment reliving those exciting days when he was also the spectre, grim guardian of justice, dark destroyer of crime. And there's an editor's note that says, for the explanation of the origin and powers of the Spectre, see the special text page in this issue, or the beginning of our podcast. <laughs> and Jim seems to be saying out loud, which is a bit suspicious. I just wish I could become the Spectre again, that easily. <laughs> you should be thinking that, yeah, I would imagine, you... as opposed to saying it yeah. out loud. So, the bottom half of page three, two large panels, which are obviously Jim remembering the Spectre in action. So we have a caption that says, He recalls how he used to stride across the world, a powerful phantom against whom the forces of evil could not survive. His was a mission of morals, to balance the scales against the criminals who preyed upon the weak and helpless. 
And the first of these panels is basically the Spectre. It looks like he's in a bit of a World War II situation. He's got a plane in his right hand with his cape up to his face. He looks like he's about to swat away another plane that's flying towards him. He's striding through flames. There are soldiers that it looks like they're going to start firing on him. And, and the second of these panels has the Spectre. It looks like he's almost emerging from the pavement. He's looming over a couple of obvious gangsters who are, trying to, who are firing up at him as they try and escape in their, in their red car. It's obviously a city backdrop compared to the, the World War II backdrop. Of the other one, and there's another. It's our first Murphy Anderson moon of the comic. Uh, a full moon at that. Yes. yes, I love how in these two panels it shows the Spectre as a giant. Yes, over everything, which is um, something that you don't usually see. Well, you don't see that often these days. Usually, he's still showing roughly the same size as whoever he's talking to, but he's actually using his uh, yeah his powers there to make himself look be giant. So we move to the top of page four, and the caption tells us. The following day, a crystal ball glows in a darkened room as the muted voice of a medium drones on. In the hush of expectancy, an electric excitement flows through the clasped hands of the gathered clients. So we see Millicent and Jim and Stefan and their and the medium all sat holding hands around a table with a glowing crystal ball in the middle of the rooms in darkness. And the medium says, I call upon the spirits. A woman seeks to find lost money. Help her discarnate bodies. And the caption for the next panel says, Even as that summons to the spirit world is made, Jim Corrigan's eyes open wide. Not for twenty long years has he experienced this strange, never-to-be-forgotten emotion. Jim looks really startled in this panel, and basically the spectre is sort of fading in behind him. And Jim is thinking, The spell that has held me immobile in my physical body is lifted at last. I can feel myself dividing into two personalities. This is interesting, because, again, this is where my, my being used to the Ostrander method comes in. Mm-hmm. Because the Ostrander series very much had Jim written as the Spectre. They weren't really separate personalities. Like, Corrigan sure. was there, and mm-hmm. he had the power of the Spectre, and they were one. What I have seen of the 60s stuff is that uh-huh. they are very much portrayed as different people. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the Spectre lives in Jim's body and all yeah. that. So it's, that's going to take a bit of getting used to. <laughs> and again, in the late 80s Doug Munch series as well, they were definitely shown as having two separate personalities right. and uh, almost like vying against each other sometimes as well. Okay. Wow. Which uh, was really interesting. So that sort of That's an interesting bridge between classic older Spectre and uh, the Ostrander stuff. So yeah. yeah, that's really. I mean, I, I'm talking about the Ostrander series. The, the Ostrander series ran from late 92 up till late 97. So it's, I mean, it's been gone for a long time. But it's the main sort of spectre text that I've read outside the, <laughs> the adventure comic stuff, which we'll get to eventually. So, caption for panel three on page four says, At this mystical moment, a powerful limousine roars past the apartment where the seance is being held. Yeah, I see a big car in the street outside and a voice inside it says, Corrigan's rubbed us the wrong way long enough. And then the caption for the next panel says, a hand moves with the speed of a striking cobra, and a small power pack bomb hurtles straight for the seance window. That's a great caption, it really is. The speed of a striking cobra. And basically, it's a hand grenade yes. that's been flung from the window of this massive yellow car as it screeches around the corner, belching you know fumes behind it. And whoever's thrown it has an astonishingly good aim, <laughs> and what's the real sort of force to throw it up high that it's going to break the window of the room that they're all in. And as the grenade flies up in the air, the gangster who's thrown it says, Here's where we rub him out. We drop to the bottom of page four now, and the caption for the panel says, Inside the seance room, that eerie being known as the spectre stirs to life. Swiftly, he rises upward from the body of Jim Corrigan for the first time in a score of years. And the spectre, in his white and green glory, sort of swoops up from Jim, moving towards the window, thinking to himself, I sense danger. The astral projection of the captain of detectives speeds towards that window with the sense of doom strong upon him. Another moment, and it would have been too late to act, thinks the spectre as he flies forward the caption for the next panel. His arms spread wide, his cape opens to form a cushioning barrier against the mushrooming explosion of that high-powered bomb. This is a great panel. Basically, the spectre has got to the window, and with a va-bam sound effect, the grenade has exploded. The glass of the window is obviously shattered. We see the explosive force of the grenade going up, and in the caption for the next panel says, Swiftly, he closes those spirit arms, holds in check the muffled detonation of activated explosive and the destructive fury of mighty shockwaves. And this is another fantastic panel. 
The spectre has wrapped his cape around the explosion, and there's a massive sort of mmm sound effect over him, which maybe I suppose is the muffled explosion that he's been able to absorb. And the spectre is saying, Time stands still about me! And then we move back to the top of page five for a full-length panel. In that suspended moment of explosion, he hurtles upward, stretching taller and taller, looming above the city far below, still clinging to that awesome force containing it within his widespread cape. It's not really widespread, though, is it? It's not. (laughs) That's funny. It had been widespread, but yeah. Yeah. So this is the spectre, as Peter mentioned earlier on, standing at the gigantic size. He's towering over the buildings. We're not actually sure if he's visible to... To the to Joe Public on the street or anything at this point he's standing, and that must be a really big explosion mm-hmm. that he's trying to to contain if he's having to grow up to that size. We see him on this panel with his with his arms still holding his cape closed around him. The force of the explosion sort of trying to force its way out from his cape, and he's thinking, "The bomb was aimed at my alter ego, Jim Corrigan. I can sense the evil still clinging to it like a terrible aura." Over the page to page six. He towers, remote and gigantic like the discarnate spirit he is. Far above the world below, the red flame and thunder still held in check. And this is another gorgeous Murphy Anderson panel that we've come to expect with the recent issues of his that we've done. The spectre is growing ever larger. We can see him moving up through the clouds, the, the city getting smaller and smaller beneath him. And that caption obviously makes it clearer that he's holding the explosion in. He's not absorbed it as such. He's sort of preventing it from spreading out because the caption for panel two says, His astral arms spread wide and, at last, high in the atmosphere where it can do no harm, the full storm and fury of that detonation fills the air. And for the massive vablam, the spectre has opened his arms wide, allowing the explosion to take place. And he's thinking, What force kept me prisoner in the body of the man I once was? And what happened to release me just in time to save his life? While freedom is with me, I must find the answers to these questions. Far below him, psychometrist Stefan Miklos leaps to his feet with a cry of triumph. Stefan says with his hand to his head, At last, I sense that the Alcott fortune is located in a warehouse on Water Street. A warehouse on Water Street was the name of um, a track on the unreleased second menswear album. I see. Yeah. <laughs> and Jim Corrigan thinks. The added astral power which appeared when the Spectre gained a new lease of life enabled Miklos to activate his own paranormal abilities. Next moment, Jim Corrigan is herding Millicent Alcott and Stefan Miklos out of the seance room. And the medium lady with her, with her handful of cash <laughs> and her glowing crystal ball watches them go. And Corrigan is ushering out Millicent and Stefan and Jim is saying... If the money is in that warehouse, we'll find it, Millicent. After a quick ride through the city streets, the trio of fortune hunters enters the waterfront warehouse, unaware that they are heading into a deadly trap. And this panel shows a gentleman in a, in a very fetching sort of purple jumper, holding a gun, and he's standing high above, obviously on the top of a flight of stairs, looking down on Jim and Millicent and Stefan as they've walked into the warehouse. It's a very, it's a very tidy, clean warehouse, it must be said. And this guy with a gun and a purple jumper is thinking... There they are. The way Rocks and Tuffy said they'd come if the bomb didn't work. Now we get Corrigan dead to rights. So he's obviously one of the baddies that was in the car earlier on. So the caption now tells us at the bottom, continued in the fourth page following. So we pass a DC Comics subscription advert featuring Metamorpho, the now traditional Superman 80-page giant advert. Couple more adverts, and then at the top of page seven, the caption for the first panel says, A harsh voice rings out as Rox Parker steps into view. Yes, and a man with basically an old school sort of style Tommy gun has stepped out in front of Jim and Millicent and Stefan, and he says, Welcome to the wake, Jim Corrigan, your own. Rox, so it was you who stole the Alicat millions. Congratulations, Corrigan, you've solved your last case. Yes. We stole the Alcott money just before the old man died. When we heard you were helping to find it, we made that money work for us by using it to trap you. So, Rox Parker, we should probably say, for the sake of differentiation, is wearing a grey suit, middle-aged, with kind of thinning, swept back, brown hair. Also emerging from the same room is another baddie who's called Tuffy. He's wearing a black suit, a little red bow tie. He's a bit heavier than, than Rox, and he's completely bald. And anyway, as Tuffy emerges, Jim says, We... You mean you've joined forces with Tuffy Cooper there? Tuffy says. Sure, we're having a gangland war, 
and we hate each other. But we hate you even more, Corrigan. And Rox says, We made a truce to last until we gun you down. Rox continues in the next panel. We got a lot of respect for you, Corrigan, so before you could get us... We decided to get you. It's too bad your friends are with you, but it can't be helped. Okay, boys, enough explanations. Feed the lead to them. Elsewhere, there is a streak across the sky as the ghostly guardian hurtles downward. See the spectre flying past the building where the seance had been taking place. We must point out, quite a nice day. The spectre seems to be scanning the building and he's thinking, My astral vision tells me the seance room is empty. Jim's gone with Millicent and Mycloss to find the money. Fine. That leaves it up to me to go after the men who threw that bomb. Time rolls back its chronal curtain as the spirit sleuth recreates the past of moments before. It sounds like the smoke emerging from the spectre's fingertips to create a little screen for him to watch, or a little window into the past almost. And amidst the smoke, we can see the yellow car where the bomb was thrown driving off. And the spectre thinks, There goes the car belonging to the men who hurled the bomb. With mighty strides, the disembodied detective passes above an unsuspecting city, trailing what has happened to the about-to-be... I wonder if that's suggesting, then, that the spectres sort of travel back in time? So, see, he's, he's travelled back in time and he's following them? Yeah, that's an interesting power. It could be very useful. Right. Cool. This is another... I keep saying this, but I'm such a fan of Murphy Anderson. It's gorgeous. This is a lovely panel of the spectre basically striding over buildings and following the... The big yellow limousine, um, driving through a sort of warehouse district, obviously. Spectre with his cape flowing behind him. As he's following the car, the Spectre is thinking, The car's moving toward a waterfront warehouse. And I can hear voices threatening Jim Corrigan. Into that dank cellar slips the Spectre, just as fingers tighten on ready triggers. You see Tuffy and Rox and their other bad guy pals, their guns all pointed at Jim, who's raising his hands. The Spectre is phasing through the wall, thinking, Jim, my physical self about to be gunned down by the very same men who hurled that bomb. And a closing caption for this chapter says, The spectre is back in action again. Get with it as excitement erupts on the next page. And the bottom of, of the story page is taken up with an advert for Detective Comics 347, with a story called The Strange Death of Batman, which we'll be covering in the podcast very soon indeed. So, over the page, page 9, and we have a gorgeous big caption at the top of the page that says, War that shook the universe, part two. And the caption for this gorgeous big splash panel says, A hail of leaden lightning speeds towards the momentarily helpless detective captain as Tommy guns and revolvers roar and chatter. But sliding out of the warehouse wall and stretching with the swiftness of thought itself, the spectre slips from the astral into the physical plane, hurling himself like a living barrier in front of the seemingly doomed men. There's a lot going on here. The spectre is growing to a very large size, appearing in front of Jim, as Tuffy and Rocks and their pals are frying with blams and ratatats and pows. Jim shouts, Spectre! The spectre is thinking, Here's where I put some lead in my diet. And Rox says, Yo, where'd he come from? And Tuffy says, Who is he? What is he? Not for twenty years has anyone on Earth seen this dread figure. He exists only as legend, until this moment when he erupts into action before incredulous mobsters. And this is another stunning part. The spectre's obviously swollen to a massive size because one of the bad guys says, He's swallowing our bullets. What kind of hocus-pocus is this? And the baddies are basically just firing their guns directly at the spectre now. And the remaining baddie says, I remember my older brother talking about somebody like him, called the spectre. His cape opens wide as the man of darkness moves his arms outward. And the titanic tempest created by that astral action sends the <laughs> leaden hail back at those who gave it birth. This feels like proper spectre stuff here because yeah. the spectre is shrinking back down to a slightly more manageable size. Andy, with his arm, indeed, as the, the caption says, with his arms spread, the bullets are flying back out and all the bad guys are running away. Tuffy's still shooting back at the Spectre, obviously, which you should have realised by now is probably a daft thing to do. And the baddie at the front is saying, Let's beat it out of here while we're still in one piece. And then the caption for the next panel at the bottom of page 10 says, Then, through the astral mantle of the ghostly guardian, leaps his physical self. Jim bursts through the Spectre's cape, shouting, Rocks, hold it! I've got a score to settle with you. And the next panel, he's caught up to rocks with a sock. Punches him out. And Jim says, About 20 years of imprisonment, I'd say. 
as one, Tuffy Cooper and his gang turn their guns on the detective captain. And Tuffy's instructing his mobsters, and he says, Get Corrigan! Forget the spectre! And the spectre says, No man ever forgets me. Once he samples the power I possess, observe. Over the page to page 11, the spectre is gesturing towards Tuffy and the other bad guys, and the spectre says, Gun barrels lengthen, wrap tight about their bodies. And that's what we see. The barrels of the guns just coiling around the bodies and holding them in place. Tremendous. And the next panel, Jim is standing over Rocks Parker and he's saying, Phew, it sure is glad to have you back in action again. We've got a lot to talk about. The spectre replies, Later. Right now I'm going into my old time disappearing act. With a burst of energy, the spectre fades out. Caption for the next panel says, In a small office in the warehouse, several chests containing the stolen money are turned over to Millicent Alcott. And we see Stefan sat at a desk with a big box in front of him. It's full of cash. He doesn't look too happy. Come on, Stefan, you're about to get a cut. <laughs> and in the foreground of the panel, very smug, very happy, very pleased with himself, looking Corrigan, is straightening his tie and he's saying, I'll arrange for a police escort to the bank, Millicent. And Millicent replies, Thank you, Jim. And you too, Stefan. And the spectre, wherever he's gone. That night, in Jim Corrigan's apartment. So Jim is standing with his hands on his hips. It looks like the spectre has just emerged from him so they can have a chat. Jim says, Now that we have a chance to talk, where have you been for the past 20 years? Why didn't you ever appear before today? The spectre replies, I couldn't. I was imprisoned in your body by some force I don't understand. But to learn the reason for my confinement shall be my next task, even while you set up rounding up the rest of the Parker and Cooper gangs. They'll probably select new bosses now that Brox and Tuffy are in jail. Spectre starts to fly off in the next panel. Somewhere. Some place there is a source of uncanny energy that controls me. I must find it. Stamp it out of existence. Jim looks up at the Spectre flying away and says, Good luck. and Keep in touch. I may need you again real soon. We should move to the top of page 12 at this point. Or is this a point where we can maybe sort of say that there at no point in this story so far, similar to Brave and Bold 62 when we did it, there's been nothing to tell us what, which Earth we're on? No, that's very true. That is very true. For all we know, this could be Earth 1. Yeah. We're assuming it's Earth 2 because the Spectre was active during the Golden Age and that's more or less established now as, as Earth 2 and one of the bad guys remembered having heard of him and stuff. So we're just assuming that it's on Earth 2 and we'll go with that until we're told otherwise. So then, right. We move to the top of page 12. Far across the world travels the spirit sleuth on his search. He first visits a soul house deep in the jungles of Ecuador. And with a, a Murphy Anderson moon at the top of this panel, it looks like a little shack in the middle of nowhere. And the spectre with some really weird circle shapes around him. This is gorgeous. Is thinking, there are many places on earth where the astral forces are greatest. Here in his soul house they are very strong. Yet they are not responsible for my imprisonment. Now in the caption for the next panel. To Gallows Hill in Salem, Massachusetts, where witches were once hung. This panel is also at night time. There's another gorgeous Murphy Anderson full moon with a big stark tree silhouetted in front of it. Obviously that's where the, the witches were, were hung from. That's horrible. And then we only see the spectre as a white silhouette sort of flying towards the tree. And he is thinking... The spirits throng to this spot, but none of them has the power to confine me. And then, the next panel in this little montage, the caption says, The temples of the gods of Egypt, long forgotten by the world, yet potent in the astral world, are next to know his spirit presence. We can see that the spectre, this time he's, he's been flipped into negative in black and white. Looking at a big Egyptian temple, it's obviously the Nile that's flowing past it, and he's thinking, Nor is this the source of my problem. And then the caption for the next panel says, To the heights of Mount Parnassus, to the ruins of the great temple, to Apollo, where the Delphic Oracle spoke her prophecies. This is a, another really, really nice panel. The spectre's face in a cloud, looking down at the ruins of the temple, thinking, Nothing potent in this ancient pile of stones. And then an extreme close-up of the spectre with little skulls instead of pupils in his eyes, which is a gorgeous image which I've seen many times. And the caption for this panel says, Stonehenge is the last to know his occult personality. Those old men here's have been used by a prehistoric race and by the druids for their rites. Yet, disappointment stirs once again in the discarnate detective. Another failure in my hunt for the imprisoning energy. 
Meanwhile, on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, a forest hideout used by the Adirondack mob for secret conferences is the object of Jim Corrigan's intense scrutiny. And there's a 50s, 60s retro-style building. It's night time. Um, all the lights are on. We can see a big umbrella on the patio. I can imagine like Frank Sinatra or Dean Martin living there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite easily very much so and Jim Corrigan is in the grounds and he's hiding behind the tree he's looking at the building and he's thinking I've tracked what's left of the Parker and Cooper gangs to this meeting place got to move in a little closer see if anyone's in there underfoot a twig snaps loudly in the stillness of the woods Jim rather carelessly is trodden a twig and has a massive loud snap sound effect which brings us to panel 3 in a caption that says as if in response to that giveaway sound a hard-faced mobster slides out of the forest shadows. And this hard-faced mobster indeed has put a gun to the back of Jim's head, saying, Get him up, Corrigan. We heard how you caught rocks and Tuffy, and we figured you might show up here. Start walking. And the next panel shows this baddie walking Jim towards the house, and the baddie is saying, The boys inside are waiting to pay you off. Underworld style. We have a slight change of scenery and a caption that tells us Where the wind whips musically through the giant stones of Stonehenge, the spirit sleuth goes rigid with alarm. And this is great, yes, it's what I wanted. It's a Murphy Anderson Stonehenge. Inspector in close up, and we should point out there's a nice Murphy Anderson rising sun effect happening in the background of this panel. Anyway, the Spectre in close up thinks I sense peril to my physical self. I must delay my quest and save him from the results of his. Along the astral plane, in that spirit dimension, where there is no time or space nor life as we know it, the spectre moves with the eerie speed which annihilates distance. And this is a great panel, I try not to laugh, of the spectre. Basically, it looks like he's emerging from the tail end of a Looney Tunes cartoon. There's a nice sort of spectrum, concentric circles, it's very effective. So we move to the top of page 14. The spectre appears with a flash, and the caption says, A burst of astral energy explodes inside the Adirondack hunting lodge. Out of it surges the awesome spirit shape of the Grim Guardian. And with the burst of energy, the spectre almost seems to be fading in from negative. This is really nice. Murphy Anderson is so good. The baddies are stunned. They've got Corrigan in the corner. They're pointing their guns at him. Jim's got his hands up. Spectre appears with a flash, and one of the baddies says, Hey, who he? And the Spectre is starting to grow in the next panel. He lunges forward and grabs two of the bad guys, saying, I am the Spectre, returning to my old haunts. Instantly, his non-physical form shoots skyward, terrible in its wrath, fearful in its fury, carrying the mobsters in his grip. Spectre's flying up above the house. There's another Murphy Anderson full moon in the background. Interesting that all the Murphy Anderson drawn stories that we've done have taken place when it's a full moon. I still think it's all the same nights. Oh, simultaneous action between Showcase 56 and That Brave and the Bold and this one. It could well be. And there's nothing to say it's not. Interesting. When we write our DC comic, we can do a little story about what happened to Mr. Terrific and the Jester. A little clash of red and green whilst all this was going on. So as the Spectre flies up carrying the two baddies, he says, There, this is high enough. So the next panel, the spectre is flying back down towards the house and we see the two gangsters he was carrying silhouetted against the moon. And it looks like they're falling, actually. And one of the gangsters is saying, Hey, he's let go of us! <laughs> Which is amazing. He's thrown them up into the middle of the air and he's dropped them. So we'll see what happens if he gets back to them. Hopefully he will. And as the, the spectre flies back down towards the house, he's thinking, Before any harm can come to them, I shall be back. And the caption for the next panel at the bottom of page 14 says, In the following moment, a giant hand slams into the hunting lodge and... This is great. He's, his hand is enormous and he's just swatted all the remaining bad guys against the wall. Jim turns towards one of the other bad guys and he's saying, Leave this last one for me, Spectre. So, over the page to page 15. The Spectre looms up into the air above Jim punching out the remaining bad guy. And the Spectre says, Okay, partner. I've got a job of my own to wrap up. Swooping upward, the discarnate detective catches the falling gangsters, just as the curious pulsation racks his body. The spectre again grows to massive size. And it's, it's cool here because one foot is sort of phasing through the building and the other one seems to be hovering almost over the, the swimming pool. So the spectre catches the two baddies who he left in midair in the previous page and he's thinking, Growing weak. My astral power's being drained away. He just makes it back to the ground with his prisoners when... Jim Corrigan emerges from the house, saying, Spectre, what's wrong? And the ghostly guardian replies, The force that kept me prisoner in your body, 
overwhelming me again. I can sense it now, as I could never do before. Jim, you must help me, as I have helped you. As the spectre is drawn back into his host body... And there's a sort of indication that the spectre is moving forward. There's a bit of a green flash sort of surrounding him as he basically merges back into Corrigan. And the spectre is saying, The mystic energy is emanating from Mountain City, from a man named Paul Nevers. Check into him, Jim. Find out his connection with me. After the two underworld gangs are placed in a local jail, Jim Corrigan flies to Mountain City. Mountain City? I don't think I've ever heard Mountain City before. It's a new one in me as well. Yeah. So there's a plane obviously flying in the direction of Mountain City and we have a thought bubble for Jim Corrigan as he thinks. I checked into this Paul Nevers through the police teletype system. He's got a rep as a small-time crook who suddenly started to pull off spectacular crimes. And we got a nice inset panel of Corrigan thinking at the top of page 16. Ever since the spectre was forced back into my body, Nevers has been robbing and looting like a demon. His powers are supernormal, probably because of that strange energy inside his body. Now, I wonder if the, the spectre seems to just pulled that out of a hat, really, didn't he? From a man named Paul yeah. Nevers on the previous page. It's kind of literally the only flaw that I can pick in this story so far. So now on page 16. In Mountain City, an airport taxi is carrying the captain of detectives to police headquarters when... And we see the aforementioned Paul Nevers running away from a bank with a briefcase, probably full of cash. And the bank guard is firing at him, saying... Stop! Thief! And with bam, bam, the bullets are basically bouncing off Paul Nevers. Jim is in the back of the red Mountain City taxi and he declares the bank guard's bullets bouncing off that bandit. That was fun. And if you look very closely at the back of the taxi it's got an advert on it that says buy DC Comics. <laughs> so it does. <laughs> That's outrageous. That's amazing. I love that. You can actually make out the telephone number on the side of the taxi as well. It's 272-5112. There we are. Should we dial it live on the podcast and see what happens? <laughs> no, we won't. That'd be terrible. So, the next panel on page 16, Corrigan has leapt from the taxi, obviously trying to make a grab at Paul Nevers. Paul Nevers is wearing an orange suit. He's baldy with a very neat moustache. Corrigan cries as he leaps, I'll bet my bottom dollar your handle is Paul Nevers! Paul Nevers swats at Jim with his briefcase, saying, You win your bet, but lose your foolhardy attempt to stop me. There's a full moon behind them in the silhouettes of the city buildings. It's obviously, it must be quite late in the day when Jim has arrived in his aeroplane in Mountain City. Anyway, the caption for the next panel. A spirit voice whispers to Jim Corrigan as he takes after his foe. And it must be said, Paul Nevers doesn't look quite as dynamic in this final panel as he did in the earlier ones. He's in sort of close-up at the front of the panel as he's running away from Jim Corrigan. Jim Corrigan is pursuing him, and a voice in Jim's ear is saying, After him, Jim, but be careful. He's being helped by an astral being like myself, someone with fantastic powers. Over the page to page 17. On the run, Jim yanks out his service revolver. Jim's turning a corner, pulling his gun out, and he's thinking to himself, What am I doing? I've never gunned down an unarmed man in cold blood. He slides to a halt to take careful aim. So Jim has cornered Paul in an alleyway. Paul is standing with his back to a large wooden fence. Jim has pulled his gun, and he's thinking, Just standing there. As if he wants me to shoot him. To make matters worse, I sense a spirit hand gripping my arm, forcing me to shoot. Fighting desperately, determined to avoid shooting at all costs, Jim Corrigan fights a lonely savage battle with the unknown powers that haunt him. A very dynamic panel, we see Jim with his gun in his right hand and he's using his left hand to try and pull his other hand down. And Jim is thinking, No, I must not, I shall not. I have a terrible feeling that if I shoot him... I'll be dooming the spectre and unleashing a terrible evil on the world. Suddenly, the spectre looms up, hurling his thoughts across the gap between his physical self and Paul Nevers. Now, there's an awful lot going on in this panel. Jim is throwing his gun away, and Dee Dee says, Phew! Managed to throw my gun away, and the spectre is emerging from Jim's body at the same time that the guy who looked like Votan but coloured in with the wrong felt tips, who we described on the cover, is emerging from the body of Paul Nevers. So this the spectre in his green and white is emerging from Jim, and he's saying, Who are you? Where do you come from? And the other guy, the yellow-costumed, pink-faced guy emerging from Paul Nevers, says, I am Asmodus. Twenty years ago I left the world on my astral plane to come to Earth. This was when you found yourself trapped. Unable to leave the body of Jim Corrigan. 
Before the stupefied eyes of Jim Corrigan and the Spectre, the form of Asmodus, dread demon of ultimate evil, takes shape and form. Asmodus continues. It was my intention to roam Earth as you do, Spectre, but bent on doing evil instead of good, for such is my nature. But when I entered a human body twenty years ago, I found myself trapped there, as you were trapped in Jim Corrigan. I could not break free. I realized Earth could not support two astral beings such as we, for our astral energies cancel out each other, neutralizing them. We then move to the top of page 18, and in a style that we're used to by now, there's a close-up shot of Asmodus because he's narrating this little flashback which is going on. So, Asmodus continues. Only when my host human died at the same moment, freeing you at that seance, was I able to go back into my own astral world. Right, this is great. We then see Asmodus. I'm wondering, I'm guessing if this is his astral world that he's, he's in, there's a sort of a weird oriental-style building in the background. There's a puddle of water or some liquid anyway beside him. He's walking through a very stark landscape. There's some barren sort of bush in front of him with a few leaves growing from it. And as he strides through this very gloomy-looking place, Asmodus is thinking, I need help to roam the earth at will. I shall find it here in Tholaga, land of astral evil. Right, so this is Tholaga. This is the very this creepy place. Oh, I don't like it. Asmodus continues, I found that which I sought in the Temple of the Black Gardens, a silver bullet imbued with ultra-evil powers. And this panel shows Asmodus within the temple, and there's a very large demonic statue in front of him. The statue's sort of holding a cup that's flames bursting from it. There's a few flowers and pillows surrounding the room, and Asmodus is holding, looks like a crystal ball with the silver bullet inside it, and he's saying, When this bullet slays my host's body, it will free me and simultaneously imprison the spectre inside Jim Corrigan for all time. Right, I want to recap this slightly. Mm -hmm. So Asmodus came to Earth, and the act of doing so is what trapped the spectre inside Jim. But then Asmodus' host body has died, which allowed him to move around a little bit, but he's still trapped inside his host body. So does that mean then that Paul Nevers was his host body and had died Mm -hmm. and was being animated by Asmodus? Looks like it. Oh, interesting. Okay, right. So, the final panel on page 18. As the service revolver he threw away leaps back into Jim Corrigan's hand, the spectre calls a warning. We see the gun flying into Jim's hand, the spectre looming over Jim, and Asmodus looming over the body of Paul Nevers. And the spectre says, Asmodus, by bringing a silver bullet into this physical world, you weakened the energies that held us both prisoners in our human bodies. I can now help my host body to fight you off. And as Modus replies, Yes, but it would result in a stalemate. There's only one way to settle this, Spectre. I challenge you to fight me. Spirit against spirit, to a finish. And the closing caption for chapter two says, The showdown battle of mighty spirit forces begins on the fifth page following. So the rest of that story page is an advert for the Teen Titans getting their own book. We have a... A couple more adverts. We have the Spectre text page that we read out already. Then, finally, we reach the top of story page 19 in a caption which says, War that shook the universe, part three. And this is a gorgeous full-page splash panel. There's some beautiful blue and purple co-centric circles forming in the background as the Spectre and Asmodus loom up and they emerge from the bodies of Jim Corrigan and Paul Nevers who are started punching and duking it out in this garbage can and box and rubbish strewn alleyway. And the caption for this panel says, From the bodies that have sheltered them erupt the astral shapes of the Grim Guardian and the Dark Demon, their powers beyond the scope and comprehension of the human mind. Above them are the realms of space and the astral worlds where they shall do battle for Earth itself. Below them... Their physical hosts are already engaged in their own slugfest. And in a very Barney Stinson-style way, the spectre is saying, Challenge accepted, Asmodus. As our human hosts fight it out, so shall we. Against a backdrop of interplanetary space, the spectral war begins. Asmodus snares a flaming meteor in his hand. They've now moved way beyond the alleyway. They're standing out in space. Asmodus has grabbed... A passing meteor, that's handy. Has it in his right hand, he's lifting it up and he says, I'll make this a blazing start and finish, Spectre. I'm anxious to get on with my work on Earth. 
As the meteor, blazing and roaring like an incandescent inferno, streaked toward the disembodied detective... The spectre catches the meteorite in his hands and crushes it, saying, No, Asmodus, you can't finish me off that easily. Our powers are too similar, too closely matched. With a howl of fury, Asmodus turns to the electrical curtain of the Aurora Borealis, whipping it like a conjurer's cape about his opponent. This is terrific. Asmodus has tried to surround Jim and the Aurora Borealis. He's whipping it around them. And Asmodus says, in response to the spectre's comment about the powers being too similarly matched, We shall see about that. For countless ages, I have studied the astral powers in the world of Thulaga. My powers are limitless. I must say, I love the depiction of the Aurora Borealis here. It's like a rainbow whirlwind. It's fantastic. That's the perfect way of putting it. I mean, um, this is next level. This is beautiful. Anyway, the caption for the next panel. Summoning up his own astral abilities, the spectre explodes that awesome curtain back at Asmodus in bolts of spectral fury. And as the Aurora Borealis bursts around the spectre, the spectre says, Your powers may be beyond the imagination, but mine are enough to stagger it. By mutual consent, the spirit beings slip into the astral plane, where alien wood and strange stone meet and shatter in a wild flailing as the dark duelists slug it out with savage intensity. This is a great panel, as the spectre and Asmodus stand on a sort of barren purple rocky landscape with skeletal trees surrounding them. Asmodus has picked up a very bright purple tree and he's tried to strike the spectre with it, but the spectre's lifting a boulder to stop him. The tree breaks over it. And Asmodus says... One must weaken the other, Spectre. Only in that manner will one of us be exhausted of power. And he who remains the stronger will be the victor. They drop their shattered weapons and dive into the limpid depths of a astral ocean where the very waters obey their commands. The captions are doing a lot of the telling here rather than showing. It must be said, it would have been quite nice to have sort of shown uh, maybe a couple of panels of them flying up into the air and then down towards the ocean. But anyway, as they're now underwater... Asmodus is saying, At my bidding, that undersea whirlpool will grip and hold you with its astral powers for all eternity. And the spectre says from within that whirlpool, Not as long as I can counter with a command of my own. Instantly, the sands grip themselves about the feet of Asmodus, pulling him down. Yeah, and this is interesting because the spectre is emerging from the underwater tornado effect and he's gesturing at the ground where Asmodus is standing, and he's gesturing with little magical thunderbolts that are very like the ones Dr. Fate has been using. Ah, But they're green. (laughs) And sure enough, the sand at the bottom of this astral ocean is moving up and grabbing Asmodus' feet. And the spectre says, What you can do, I can undo. As he does that. Once again, they abandon their battleground for a new one. Zooming out into astral space, where they enlarge themselves a millionfold as they each grab a comet by its tenuous tail, and... This is us at the opening splash page of the whole story, actually, yeah. Yes. They've each grabbed a comet, and they're striking the other with it, and as Modus says... I'll batter you with so many weapons, your energies will soon be exhausted. You'll never succeed, never. Having found the cause of my long imprisonment, I don't intend to go into limbo again. Astral Earth and Spirit Moon plummet through space towards one another as Asmodus dispatches a thought through the cosmos. Yep. So the spectre's caught between the Earth and the Moon rushing towards each other, and he's thinking. He thinks he has me trapped in the astral fields of Earth and Moon. The caption for the next panel says, Summoning up the occult powers latent in his consciousness, the spectre grows to titanic proportions, piercing Moon and Earth like a living arrow. This is great. The spectre is sort of phasing through both of them as they continue to rocket towards each other. And the spectre says, When Earth meets Moon and both explode, I shall be released unharmed. And indeed, the next panel shows the Earth and Moon <laughs> exploding behind the spectre has now grown to a massive size. Wow. I love how the explosion is going on behind them, but he's sort of tinted blue as if he's in the shade of it almost. Yeah, the colours are fantastic in that panel. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so then, as the Earth and Moon explode behind him, the spectre says, Time now to test your powers, Asmodus. From the cosmic deeps, the discarnate detective withdraws a nova. This is a great panel. It's not every day you see a giant ghostly entity with a nova gripped in his right hand. I mean, this is a beautiful panel. This is about as classic a spectre as you're ever going to see. Spectre is holding the nova, so the red and orange and yellow energy is bursting from it. 
He has his modus standing in his left hand, and Spectre says, Good will always triumph over evil. And as Modus replies, Forget those textbook maxims. We are discarnate beings, not humans. The star explodes. Heat that would turn solid steel to incandescent powder erupts harmlessly about those astral forms. So the Spectre has brought the Nova down, and there's a burst of flames all around Asmodus, and the Spectre thinks, The tiny thread of consciousness that connects me with Jim Corrigan tells me that he is on the verge of winning his battle against Paul Nevers. On Earth, on that physical plane where the hard-fisted detective, Captain Corrigan, has been battling his foe. And with a brilliant sock sound effect, Corrigan has taken out Nevers with a right uppercut. Superb. Very dynamic. Then we move back to the Spectre and his modus. For an instant, as his host body loses consciousness... As Modus himself grows weak, and in that very moment, the Spectre strikes. And in front of another very trippy space background, the Spectre has overcome his Modus, shrinking back down to comparative size, and he's lifting his Modus above his head, thinking, Now at last, I can subdue him by causing his powers to seep away. Upward and outward shoots the Grim Guardian, past stars and planets, to the deeps between the galaxies, hurtling toward the rim of the astral universe. Spectre's bearing his modus through space, and he's thinking, Once that power leaves his astral form, it can never return. At the very end of time, where space curves back upon itself, the Spectre grapples with his adversary. Murphy must have had a great time with all the backgrounds for all this stuff, because it looks like they're sort of caught in a blue whirlwind with planets zooming around them, and as Modus says, My astral powers are leaving me. You have won. You have been rendered helpless. Inert replies the spectre, and then at the top of page 24 the caption says, Shorn of every last erg of his spiritual forces, as Modus floats inert in no time and non-space, a monument to the triumph of good over evil. And as Modus is now lying stretched out, fully flat, and there's some blue and pale purple, co-centric, distorted circles surrounding them both, spectre is standing with his hands wide, and he's saying, Here you shall remain for all infinity. Powerless to work your evil will on human or spirit being ever again. But before all consciousness fades from you, tell me, why did you come to Earth in the first place? The recumbent Asmodus says, You'll never know, Spectre, but just in case you should defeat me as you did, I arranged matters so my master plan could carry on without me. As the Spectre hurtles back to Earth to rejoin his physical body as Jim Corrigan, he cannot hear the taunting thought trailing him. So this panel shows the Spectre flying away from the blue and purple circled area where he's left as Modus, and the voice behind him is saying, I have lost, but you have not won, Spectre, as you shall learn when my sinister scheme unfolds on Earth. Soon. Very soon. And then the story ends with a nice, chirpy, cheery close-up of the Spectre smiling and pointing at the reader in a Lord Kitchener style, and he's saying, I'll be back in the next issue of Showcase. Don't you dare miss it. The, the end. end? Yeah, and in the bottom page 24 has a, an advertisement for an issue of House of Mystery, featuring Robbie Reed and Dial H for Hero. Interesting. I just want to recap the ending. So, Jim knocking out Paul Nevers, that... Weakened us, Modus. Hmm. Does that mean Asmodus was dependent on Paul Nevers for his strength? That's weird, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Is it a symbiotic relationship like Jim and the Spectre? Yeah, I suppose, because it was the whole thing about how Asmodus' host body had died. See, that I don't understand. Unless his host body had died and then he inhabited Paul Nevers. Do you think it's a similar situation to what happened to Jim Corrigan and the Spectre then? It may well be. I will admit to a little bit of confusion about some of this here, the way Asmodus loses his powers once Paul Nevers has been knocked out by Jim Corrigan, but then Asmodus had said how he, his host body had already died, but, he, but this seems to say that he's dependent on his host body, and then it was all that talk about the silver bullet that was going to slay his host body with that freedom and then trap the spectre, but then if his host body gets knocked unconscious it renders him powerless, it's a bit foggy isn't it? It certainly is. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you don't often see astral beings creating bullets how did they know that, what calibre it was how could they sneak it into Jim's gun yes how did all that work uh, it was very very odd yeah I think there's there's quite a lot of questions I think this is this should have been tidied up a bit more 
It's unusual. Yeah, I think, I mean, looking back then, it must be the case then, the moment when Corrigan feels that he's about to shoot Paul Nevers, that must be mm-hmm. when um, Asmodeus is trying to, to make him do that. Yeah. I have a terrible feeling that if I shoot him, I'd be doing the spectre and unleashing a terrible evil on the world. I mean, the main thing is, Asmodeus' plan seems to be depending on Paul Nevers, who comes out, let's be honest, who comes out of nowhere, yeah. two-thirds of the way through the story. Uh-huh. After all that build-up with Tuffy and rocks and all that sort of stuff. Who seems to be invulnerable because, you know, ordinary bullets are bouncing off him in the bank robbery. Yeah. So Asmodeus seems to want the Spectre to shoot and kill the body of Paul Nevers, which will trap the Spectre inside Jim for all time, but then free Asmodeus. But then at the same time, when Jim punches out Paul Nevers, that removes all of Asmodeus' powers. I don't know. <laughs> Come on, Gardner, have another pass at the script. <laughs> Jim has actually literally seen bullets bounce off Paul. Yes. And when he has the compulsion to shoot him, then why would he be concerned? Because obviously he thinks he's bulletproof. Of course. That's peculiar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is that bit when Jim seems to have a bit of a premonition, but it's very, it is very odd. It's a very uneven story. I mean, the first two thirds of it is very well done. It does feel very similar mm-hmm. to the the other Gardner Fox and Murphy Andersons that we've done recently, you know, because it's very grounded and a bit urban almost. Uh-huh. But I like the way they dealt with the Spectre coming back. Yeah. If Paul Nevers had maybe been set up earlier in the story, uh-huh. rather than just sort of appearing out of nowhere, and then the way that the Spectre suddenly seems to know about Paul Nevers mm-hmm. out of nowhere, yep. that's a bit uneven. I will admit to a little bit of dissatisfaction with this. The artwork is gorgeous throughout, but the story's just a bit messy. Yeah. And that, that's kind of taken me out of it a little bit, really. I'm a bit concerned about the astral form of Earth and Moon being destroyed. Surely that would have some effect yes. on Earth and the Moon. Yeah. You'd think so. It seems to be, you know, basically anything goes once they get into this astral plane and they can do whatever they like, although yeah. it has no effect on reality. Yeah, that's fair. You think there would be some sort of connection considering their spirits and they seem to be connected to their host bodies on Earth. Mm-hmm. So you think there would mm-hmm. be some sort of correlation or connection there. But we don't really mm-hmm. get that. It just seems to be a case for some great arts and some outlandish fight <laughs> scenes in space or astral space. Yeah, which is always great. It's always nice to see. And, and let's be honest, this is the first time the Spectre has appeared in over twenty years. Mm-hmm. At this point, you know they've gone full tilt to make it quite spectacle, but at the same time, the story's a little bit incoherent. Yeah, a couple other points I want to mention. See when Spectre's doing his world tour sure. of all the mystical places when he's flying by Salem. Do you not yes. think he'd pop by Doctor Fate's Tower and see if he's there, how he's doing? Oh yeah, that's you would fair. think. You would yeah. think, as you know, he's he's uh-huh. right there. Unless, of course, that's when Doctor Fate's out fighting with our man. <laughs> Yeah, it could be, or maybe we're on a different Earth where there isn't a Doctor Fate. Who can say? Well, <laughs> because the Spectre appeared in the forties with the Justice Society, the retroactive Earth Two term has been applied to cover all that sort of stuff. We're assuming that the Spectre is on Earth Two. There's nothing to tell us at any point that he is indeed in Earth Two. I suppose once he pops up in the next JLA JSA team up, that will sort of narrow that bit down. But no, it's interesting that the Doctor Fate thing hadn't occurred to me mm-hmm. until you mentioned it there. It would have been nice to have maybe seen the tower mm-hmm. looming in the background of the of the tree where all the hangings take place. That would have been terrific. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to go back to the stage where they were at the seance as well, when that grenade was thrown. So there's four of them at the seance. It's Stefan, Millicent, Jim, and the psychic who's hosting the seance. And they're all there. And this grenade's thrown and it explodes, but they don't seem to notice it. Although we have got... In the picture, in the actual panel, we've got the yes. glass shattering and the, the explosion yeah, starts to happen. Yeah, and the Spectre absorbs the rest of it. I'm assuming the Spectre's kind of like reverse time, and as he absorbed it and went away, so they didn't even notice. That's the only... Ex- we don't get an explanation for that. Uh, that's the only way I can think that works. The fact that you see the glass breaking suggests that the, you know some damage uh-huh. was done, but then, as you say, they don't reference it, so maybe the Spectre tweaked it and fixed it. I don't know. Unless he got the wrong window. <laughs> that's a point, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He must have been throwing the grenade at some force from the street level, from a moving car, for it to go at yeah. least to the second or third story and smash a window. And he knew exactly what window to get. Yeah. Are we being too picky? This is the fun part, though. This is it. No, I just wonder, I mean, are we being too picky, or is this story that we've just read genuinely, does it have a few more plot holes and everything else we've read recently, and so we, we haven't felt the need to, to question them just as much? I do feel a little confused and slightly dissatisfied by it as a whole. I think plot-wise and story-wise, I think it's a bit less tidy than our usual Gardner Fox story. Yeah. He's usually very good at tying up all the loose ends. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this seems to be a bit woolly. But then again, he has teased us saying, my plan is yet to come to fruition. That's and we do true. have two more Spectre showcase issues yeah. coming up. So things might play out in that. Things might be explained further. We don't know yet. We shall have to wait and see. I know for a fact that I will be slightly irritated if we read showcases 61 and 64 and there is no mention of Asmodus and his plan. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see, won't we, listeners? Anyway. 
Yes. So is there any any contemporary reader reaction for this one then, Peter? No, not oh, for that's that. I'm afraid there's there's no letters pages. That's a shame. I have a little fun trivia fact about this episode. So this issue, as you said, came out in November 1965, mm. right? And it features a character called Stefan Miklos. Now, see, when I read the issue, I thought, that name is very familiar to me. Right. Where do I know that name from? Okay. And I checked. It's quite an unusual name. And there's actually an episode of the 60s Mission Impossible series. Right. That is called The Mind of Stefan Miklos. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And that first aired in the 12th of January 1969, considerably after this. Wow. As I said, it's a very <laughs> unusual, very unusual name. Interesting. Now, this isn't a psychic in this one. It's in the Mission of Oswald story. He's a very clever enemy agent right. who can outthink the everyone. The Mind of Stefan But this right. isn't. Wow. It's really interesting, the fact it's the same name, because it's such, such an unusual yeah. name. Yeah. As I said, when I read the story, it just jumped out at me and I thought, I do know that name. That's fascinating. I always want to Google the guy's name and see what else comes up. That's amazing. <laughs> that's Literally, that's it. We'll have to see if we can find any images from that episode and maybe put them on the socials if we're able to. We could do a comparison side by side of the two Stefans. <laughs> there we are. That's great. Wow. That's amazing. And speaking of the social media, you can find us on Facebook at the Earth 2 Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at podcast underscore Earth 2 and on Instagram, but also at the Earth 2 Podcast. Tremendous, yes. Do check out our social medias because, as usual, we'll be adding lots of supplementary content. There'll be panels from the story, there'll be the cover, there'll be some other Spectre covers from throughout his career. We're going to do that for the next few showcase Spectre issues just to give you a bit of a taste. Probably some photographs of action figures as well, I would imagine. And if you want to drop us a line, you can email us at the Earth 2 Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, please do. We've had some more nice feedback recently. Thank you. We do appreciate it. It's nice to know we're not existing in a vacuum and that people are listening and enjoying what we're doing. So yeah, keep it coming. It's great. Thank you. So that's pretty much everything for this spectacular episode. <laughs> so I've been Peter. And I've been David. And you've been listening to The, the Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. First appeared in January 1940 in issue more. Oh, in issue more fun of 52 comics. There we go.